You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Danielle Mila and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. The Sandwich Generation. I first heard the term from a medical colleague giving a TED Talk years ago. She was describing the process of taking care of her parents in their old age, her children in their toddler years, and then getting cancer. My experiences at that point had not been nearly as earth-shattering. I was caring for my own little ones, but my parents and in-laws were doing fine. A decade later, my wife and I now have been sandwiched. We juggle driver's ed and college applications with assisted livings and home caregivers. I had known intellectually how difficult things could become, but not experientially. The physical and financial toll is real, and most of us are unfortunately not prepared to handle it. Danielle Mila is a financial planner, content creator, and family caregiver. Her mission is to help family caregivers on their journey and inspire them to take care of their financial well-being while providing the best care for their families. Danielle Mila, welcome to Earn and Invest. I want to start with your personal story. First and foremost, how did you end up taking care of three separate generations of your family? Well, thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm excited to be on here. And thank you for sharing your story as well. The more we share our stories, the more awareness we can provide. We're not just people that are that are hidden. We're real and there are family caregivers out there. As far as my story, I'm a millennial. I have a four-year-old daughter and I care for my mother who's taking care of her health and my grandmother who recently fell on tile floor and broke her hip. Usually they say it's like the one fall that kind of, causes long-term care or causes the chaos. Well, that was the case for my family. My grandmother was in perfect health. Well, close to perfect health as you can get. And she fell on tile floor and broke her hip. And unfortunately, because her heart is not strong enough, she can't go through with surgery. So let's talk about when this happened. So your grandmother falls and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to take care of her. I need to somewhat take care of my own mother. And then of course, I have a toddler at home. Did you embrace this new role or were you kind of like, what the heck? I was in more of a flight or flight mode of like shit hits the fan. Excuse my language. We we have to take care of, of this situation. When my grandfather passed away, I was the first one who was called when he had the stroke and was in the hospital. 
And so I felt like it was my responsibility to also be the first one to be called when emergency happens. And when I received the call of, you know, I fell, I'm in the ER and I'm not doing well. It was a fight or flight mode of what do we do next? What happens? And again, we're not, my grandmother's not a 60 year old woman. She's a turn 90 year old woman this year. She's very lucky to get to 90, but you never know when it comes to elderly parents and grandparents, what their life will look like and what one fall will bring to their life. And so I was expecting the worst at that time of, is there a possibility that things may go downhill from here? What will that look like? And the funny thing is that it maintained relatively stable. Things didn't move or change much. She's kind of declined over the last two years of family caregiving, but she hasn't gotten to the point where she's needed more help than just her physical hip issue. So we're going to talk about how your professional life as a certified financial planner has mixed with your personal life of taking care of three generations of family members. You experienced this first as a family member. Talk about the time commitment. So you're building your career, I assume. You're taking care of your own child. And then all of a sudden, you're worried about grandparents and parents. Talk about your own time commitment and how that took away from other parts of your life. That's hard. I would love to say that there's a perfect life and work balance, but sometimes that doesn't exist. And the reason I say that doesn't exist is not because I can't maintain it. It's because you sometimes just get the call. It's like you're the nurse on call and you get calls, which I'm sure you are familiar with. You get called and then all of a sudden it's like your workday has shifted. For example, last week I got the call and I stopped whatever I was doing at work and caregiving happened. And I was lucky to not have any meetings for the rest of the afternoon. So it wasn't a big deal, but it's difficult. It's difficult having caregiving and then trying to start your own firm and being a working caregiver that has her hands tied in many different things. So you're a certified financial planner. Did they teach you about home caregiving or long-term care issues when you were doing your training? No. Like long-term care was discussed, but not necessarily elder care planning, which I think that's something that a lot of financial advisors are scared of attempting because it's so complex and dense. We're not just dealing with the simple umbrella of whether or not to have long-term care insurance or self-insure. We're looking at, do they want to age in place? Do they have their files together? Who's their POA? There's, And then it's like government assistance. It's like the list goes on. And there's so many umbrellas and brackets under that one segment of elder care planning that a lot of financial advisors are not prepared for. We're going to get into the detail here because I think there's really two separate things we're talking about. One is elder care financial planning, right? Which is in a sense, somewhat straightforward, maybe not easy, but we get the idea of long-term care and how you're going to self-fund versus insure, et cetera, et cetera. But then there's the other real issue of home caregiving, which is 
you specifically not only figuring out the finances, but specifically being involved in the day-to-day and moment-to-moment care, there are two things which interact together to make the situation very complex. So let's get to some of the basics. First of all, in my intro, I talked about the sandwich generation. What does that mean to you and how big a number of people are we really talking about? I think that's the unique thing about family caregiving that can be complex. There's many different types of caregivers, especially with the pandemic. That definition of caregiver has largely expanded to long distance caregivers, which are those who live 20 or so minutes farther away from their loved one. You have sandwich generation, which is caring for a younger child in in an older parent or grandparent like my situation. You have those who are adult children, taking people, parents taking care of their adult children. It's not anymore the typical taking care of elderly parents like it may have been before. This definition has largely expanded. I kind of see what you're saying. And and it definitely, I think originally when I heard the term something like 10 years ago, we were really talking about toddlers and elderly. And what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Now we have college kids who are coming home who don't have jobs. We have disabled people. We have unemployed people. We have just an expanding group that someone as a millennial or Gen X or someone hopefully, you know, in their 30s, 40s or 50s may be taking care of both an elder generation as well as a younger generation. How common of a problem is this? Do you know specifically how many Americans today are kind of having to try to both act as a parent as well as a caregiver? So the rough estimate of total family caregivers is about 20% of the American population. Wow. Um, However, that's an estimate. I wouldn't be surprised if that's actually larger than 20%. You would really have to go into the to-do list and task. And what your definition is probably different than my definition of what a family caregiver There's a lot of people who consider themselves family members instead of family caregivers. And for a while, like the first six months or so of family caregiving, I didn't even know I was a family caregiver. As I said, I was in flight or flight mode. All I wanted to do was ensure that I was taking care of my loved one because I, I loved her and cared for her as much as I did. But I didn't really consider, I didn't tie the two together. So I'm sure there's an extra my estimate is maybe five or 10% more of people who just don't consider themselves family caregivers that are treating themselves as a family member only. And then as far as sandwich generation, it's about 12% of the population. Wow. So you're talking about 20 to 25% are home caregivers. Another 12 to 15% at least consider themselves part of that sandwich generation. Are Americans economically prepared for this? I mean, I see two problems, right? One is the cost of care, but then there's also the cost personally of taking care of someone, maybe lost wages, lost hours of work, maybe having to leave their jobs in order to do this. Talk about the economic state of your average American and whether they've even thought about this as an issue. I think a lot of people, when they're thinking about retirement, they're thinking about taxes. They're thinking about income and how much they can spend in retirement. What does their possible vacation look like? I think many Americans skip over the idea of long-term care and what that consists of. 
And I'm saying this both ways from a millennial perspective or a Gen Z perspective and also a an elderly parent not planning for their future. It's mostly the the conversation that most people don't want to talk about. It's like death, sex, and hmm. and long-term care. It's like no one wants to talk about those things. And so usually they just get pushed aside and they don't get discussed. And especially when you're having, you may say you're working with a financial advisor. Is that financial advisor just doing investment management? Or are they really doing comprehensive financial planning? If they're just doing investment management, long-term care is not going to be included in that sector. I want to get back to this idea of long-term care in a little bit. But before we get there, I thought it was really interesting. You talked about this idea that people just don't like talking about this. Why are we not talking specifically to our parents about this, right? So we're talking about people like us in our 30s and 40s and 50s. Why aren't we talking to our parents about these things? And how can we start? Because I think the beginning to the problem might be better communication, right? Yeah, I think when I started, like before, maybe I was like in, I was just starting to go through the CFP education coursework. I was just starting to kind of bridge that gap between having a money relationship with my parents, like really talking about money. Money wasn't really open in my family. It was more of like, we have, we're working with a financial advisor. And they say, we're all good. Don't worry about it. And as an only child, when I was younger, I was thinking to myself, I don't want to deal with that. Like I literally told my parents at age 16, get your stuff together because I don't want to do this alone. I don't want to be an only child who's picking up the pieces when you pass away. So please get your ducks in a row. But many people don't have those types of conversations with their parents. I personally didn't until really when we went over the CFP education courses of realizing how much of a major issue this is in my family. Like money revolves around everything. Money decisions are made. There may be more options depending on how much money you have and having this conversation. It doesn't have to be necessarily, I'm digging into all your files and I'm going to see what your investments are. It's It shouldn't be that type of conversation. It would be more of like, I saw this on the news. Did you see that long-term care costs this much? Like, have you thought about planning for it? Or I had a friend whose mother recently went to assisted living facility. Have you thought about which one you want to go to? Or mom, I'm really worried about when you pass away, how do you want your funeral to look like? Do you want, what song do you want to be sung? Do you want to be cremated? Do you want to be buried? What does that look like? Starting those kind of slight conversations are going to help to start talking about the money conversations. I love those techniques. And one that I often talk to people about and I've seen used really successfully is this technique of actually asking for advice, right? So as people who are now in our 30s and 40s and 50s, we could go to our parents and say, hey, I'm starting to think about estate planning I'm starting to think about how I want to plan in case something were to happen to me. What are you doing for that? And it's a, a really nice way of bringing up the conversation without it seeming confrontational in which you're actually asking for advice. But what you're really trying to get at is, oh, what have they planned? What are they in store for themselves? And how much have they thought of this 
as a question. And I know for, I've seen that one help quite a bit because it's almost like we need these techniques to talk about this really painful, difficult thing because people don't want to, you know, people don't want to hear, oh, well, what should I do with you or your money? Or how do you, you know, if you get sick, where do you want to be? People don't want to have those conversations. Yeah, they're co- hard conversations to have, especially when you're having them with multiple generations of no one really wants to talk about this stuff. And it's uncomfortable. And then when you deal with things like wills and transferring assets, and then money gets even more messy. Do you think COVID changed any of this? I mean, I feel like COVID caused us all to pause and start thinking about illness and care and our careers. Do you think it either accelerated these conversations or stopped them in any way, shape or form? I think they accelerated them to an extent. It's more of the conversations of what do I really want my life to look like? Do I want to be, you know, quarantined for several months like we were, most of us were? Do we want to try something new and take risk as many people did with the crypto market or other markets? It's more of, I think it was more of a time to really process and think about what your life really wants, what do you want it to look like? And how do you make that happen? So let's have the long-term care insurance. I think to start with, help explain to generally our population who's listening to this right now, help explain what exactly is long-term care and long-term care insurance. So again, we're talking about broad definitions. It's funny. It's like, as I said, it's like we could go really narrow and just say family caregiving is just helping a vulnerable person. That's very broad and not very detailed. Long-term care could be the same way. Um, You technically can't take care of yourself and you need someone to assist you. That would be the broad, not very detailed definition. The detailed definition could be you can't meet your activities of daily living, you're having trouble bathing, you're having trouble dressing, you're having trouble eating, and you need someone to physically help you to do those things, whether that's through assisted living facility, whether that's in through in-home care, through unpaid caregivers, the list goes on. And for people who don't understand this. And this is something that kind of hit me in the face a little bit, even though I am in healthcare and I'm also in personal finance, but we have been dealing with a family member and assisted living. Talk about the cost of long-term care in America. How big a numbers are we really talking about? Lots of numbers. (laughs) If you were to really actually calculate the numbers based on the GenWorth study, um, for women, they need on average about 3.8 years of long-term care assistance. So if you calculate that based on today's numbers, you're probably looking at $200,000 to $300,000 in total. Now, if you're looking at an inflated rate of 5% per year in 10 years, that could be $500,000 to $600,000 in total. So how the heck are you helping people plan for this? Because your average person out there who's working, who's thinking about retirement, who's concerned about making sure their family members are taken care of, where are we as Americans going to come up with that possible four or $500,000 <laughs> to take care of two elderly parents who might need long-term care for a while? 
And that that's the problem. It's one we haven't probably par- prepared early enough. And so we're using multiple ways to create long-term care, one of which may be through a family member. I think we have this perception that once someone gets in the assisted living facility, everybody's job is done. It's like we did the good deed. We put them in the facility. Everybody's going to take care of them. Our job is done. When in reality, we still need a family caregiver to help assist and advocate for that person. As you've probably experienced, assisted living facilities since the pandemic started have been, what's the political term for it, have had some hardships. They have a high turnover rate. A lot of people aren't getting the care that they need. I had a loved one in the, just for an example, I had a loved one in assisted living facility and she had to wait 45 minutes to get help. That's crazy. 45 minutes. Some people might be dead by that 45 minutes. And it's really scary how much the pandemic has shifted what long-term care looks like. So we're talking long-term care. And I guess in my own mind, I'd separate that into really three different aspects. One is home caregiving, whether that come from Mm -hmm. a family member or hired caregivers. The other is the next level up, assisted living, which means you go live in a place and they assist you, but they don't do per se moment-to-moment care all day long. They come in and assist periodically. And then there is skilled nursing care, which is a nursing home, which is that assist assistance from moment to moment, 24 hours a day. And when we look at the cost of those, it goes up rapidly from home caregiving from a family member, which is quote unquote free, but of course they're going to miss work and there's a cost to that, to assisted living, which is more expensive, and then skilled care, which is most expensive. Do you think most Americans have any idea about any of this before they're going through it themselves? Maybe not. (laughs) I don't have any statistics to prove whether or not, based on my experience, I would say many do not know the complexity or understand the complexity. Many family caregivers don't understand the complexity. They don't understand the complexity of physically what it is to turn someone in the bed and how heavy that person could be every time you shift them in bed what medical assistance that person may need. It's a lot of trial and error of trying to figure things out on the go. But as far as trying to cut cost, usually the best way, if possible, depends on their health needs, of course, is trying to keep them in the home for as long as possible. Really prepare your home for aging in place. Looking, if you want to stay in your home and your home has flights of stairs, You're going to either have to work around that and put a master bedroom on the first floor if there's not already one, or get a stair lift. You're going to have to accommodate your home and your living area to have grab bars, get rid of the rugs, have a safe place for you to live as long as possible. But you're also going to need to develop a community that is willing to check up on you. Because if you don't have close family members, this is the time to have someone check up on you, create that social network that can do a meal chain for when you need it. Walk your dogs when you need it. We are talking to Daniel Mila. She's a financial planner, content creator, and family caregiver. And we are talking about the sandwich generation. 
We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. This episode is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, if you're like me, you thought at one point in your life that having enough money would solve all of your problems. And guess what? It didn't for me, and it probably isn't for you. But you know what helps quite a bit? Therapy. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It definitely did for me, and when I used BetterHelp, I found that I was learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowered me to be the best version of myself, and it's not for just those people who've experienced major trauma. You might be like me. Maybe you got to the point where financially you were successful and yet you still found that life's problems hadn't been all solved. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash earn today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash E-A-R-N. We are talking with Daniel Mila. She is on a journey to inspire home caregivers to protect them, help them with their financial well-being, as well as helping them provide the best care for their families. And we're talking about the sandwich generation. We've been dancing around this idea of long-term care. Is there a crisis in paying for long-term care in the U.S. today? Oh, yeah. (laughs) No doubt about that. Isn't that why we have insurance? I mean, shouldn't long-term care insurance pay for everything? And why don't why doesn't everyone have it? So the thing about long-term care insurance is that it's very expensive. Before the policies did not adapt to the increase in inflation for 5% per year. So they were red, relatively reasonable cost. Now they're crazy expensive. And that's not because necessarily the insurance cost, like the insurance company, it's the assisted living facilities and the big corporations that are buying these care facilities and just increasing the cost. I know that the cost of care is not going towards the people I hire to take care of my grandmother. It's going to the big corporations or the agencies that are paying for that care. To give you a kind of an estimate for my grandmother, she pays around $30 an hour for care. She has 24-hour care. 
And the care workers, the people who take care of her, only get paid $15 to $17 an hour. So mm-hmm. where is the rest of that money going to per hour? That's the big question. Obviously, things are more expensive and inflation is causing the cost to go up. There are third parties, big companies that are leveraging this need in America to make money. Is the government responding? I mean, this is one of those cases where you think, oh, boy, the government should step in, create legislation that should make this more manageable or affordable. Are we seeing that anywhere in the United States today? I think they've tried or at least attempted through providing the long-term care insurance program through Washington and trying to make it a kind of a, it's like what they used to do with pensions in the older days. Like you have a protective security for yourself for retirement, but we're just going to switch that over for long-term care. So if you ever need it, at least you have at least a supplement to help you. When actuality, we realized that that wasn't necessarily the best way of going about long-term care insurance. And that can be controversial based on opinion. I don't think it was the best way. But I don't think that there's ever going to be a perfect way. Because there's always going to be someone that is going to pay the cost of caring for someone. Whether that's the caregiver. Whether that's you're paying, you're losing money out of your pocket to pay for long-term care insurance. The only thing that I can think of that would maybe limit the amount of crisis is that planning in self-insuring, paying that out of pocket yourself, but then you're depleting your assets. So there's less money to give to your loved ones later on. You may self-insure incorrectly. You may think it's a minimal cost when it's actually much larger than what you predicted. Depending on how you invest your money, you may not either invest it correctly or you may take on more risk later on in your years and then the market drops and then you have no money for long-term care. There's many variables that come into self-insuring. I usually don't suggest self-insuring unless that is the only, like the best option on the plate, but usually it's not. I was about to say, we're painting kind of a bleak picture. You're a certified financial planner. What are you telling families to do in this case? Are you saying pay the extra and get the long-term care insurance if you can find it? Are you saying prepare the house and be ready to do caregiving yourself and maybe give up your job and your income to do that? Like, What are the options that make sense if you see this maybe coming down the road in the next decade? So it's more of just like analyzing the pros and cons of each option. So you can pay a family member to take care of you. You can sign a caregiver agreement. You can use ways to supplement long-term care costs like dividends and annuities. There's a lot more options than there were before. There's long-term care insurance hybrid policies, which have a life insurance option attached. Um, So there's much more ways to take care of long-term care costs than there were before. And that's why it's really important to kind of get quotes to see what long-term care costs, long-term care insurance costs, and the hybrid policies and the annuity policies, and then just kind of put it all together and see, you know, what would be best for me? What would make me most comfortable? Let's talk about some of those hybrid policies. 
in general, on earn and invest, we often talk about mainly when it comes to things like life insurance, you want term life insurance. But there are some of these policies out there that are non-term life insurance policies that also build in long-term care. I have to say my wife and I both did that, you know, being reasonably well off, we had a certain amount of money we could plunk down into these policies when we were 40 and thinking that long-term care would be important. We both bought hybrid policies that we were speaking of, but what's out there? And is this something that's affordable for people? I think affordability is subjective. Everybody has a different definition of what affordability looks like. It just depends on how you want to allocate your money and what money do you have to allocate. You may not even have, these policies may not even be a choice for you. It may just be, we're planning for you to get Medicaid because that's the easiest and best choice on the table, which is not the most happiest route to go, but can be doable for many people. You just have to understand the risk of there may not be enough beds for you. They may kick you out. There may not, it may not be the best option. Every state is different. Yeah. Let me, let me break it down for people who don't know. And I know this because I've worked in long-term care for a long period of time, but what people most don't realize is that we all have a long-term care plan. It's called Medicaid. Most people don't realize that we have that. Now, a long-term care plan through Medicaid means basically you spend down your assets for care until you have very little money left. And then you do get Medicaid. Medicare does not cover long-term care. So if you need to be in a nursing home the rest of your life, you may get a certain number of days covered by Medicare. But after those days, you pay on your own until you spend down all your assets. And then Medicaid picks in, kicks in and pays for it. What people don't realize is if you are part of a couple, you end up spending the couple's assets down. And then one person goes into Medicaid, but the other person is left broke. And that's not a pretty picture. There's such a thing as called a Medicaid divorce where people actually get divorced so that one family member can try to hold on to assets while the other person spends down and therefore can get long-term care. It gets really ugly and really, really messy. I think the only clear conclusion we have is that we really don't have a great plan. (laughs) Yeah, I wish there was like this perfect picture that I could create. That was a great definition of of what Medicaid looks like. I think there's a kind of a a rumor that most people have that, you know, Medicare is just going to cover all your long-term care needs. Mm-hmm. And that is not correct. And uh, I, if I could change like a couple things to re, re-empathize people's thinking and processes around long-term care, one of them meaning, you know, Medicare doesn't pay for everything. So just be aware. Those types of things, if I could just spread awareness on three or four things, I think it would dramatically impact the way people think about long-term care. So there's no question one of the most economical ways of dealing with this, as you were saying, is keeping family members at home and providing some of the caregiving yourself. Because believe it or not, if you get a 24-hour caregiver and you pay an agency, let's say, to do this, it actually becomes quite expensive over a full month. And if you're doing for that for years on time, you're really talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars So if you can provide the care yourself with a family member or friend, it's obviously much cheaper. But that also belies the question of what does that caregiver do to support themselves? So you found yourself being a caregiver as well as someone who is building their career and taking care of their own children. Talk about some of the ways caregivers can protect themselves, their own finances, their own emotions, even on top of that, while also 
maybe being the most economical form of care for their family member? Yeah, I think there's multiple avenues of that question. So the first question is, it's not like you're just paying a family member. There needs to be something in place. It's not just, I'm going to pay them under the table and call it a day. Like I'm sure there's plenty of those, but I'm not going to suggest that as a financial advisor. But really understanding the tax implications of hiring a person or family member to do that job. And what are the pros and cons of qualifying for Medicaid? Do you need an attorney to write up that contract? Because it's possible that once you start paying the family member, that you may not qualify for Medicaid based on how that contract is written. So, because they may look at it as a gift rather than a paid employee. So making sure that you're going through the right path of really documenting it correctly and making sure that you're paying the correct taxes, like the payroll taxes and the Schedule H to ensure that you're paying them a family member correctly, doing it the right way. Yeah, you, you don't up- want to have it where someone's paying you and then you apply for Medicaid because you spend down on their assets and all of a sudden it's like, okay, no, you really don't qualify for Medicaid because you just handed over a gift and you don't qualify. Right. So most people don't realize that when you apply for Medicaid, they will go back years into your assets and forensically try to figure out if you're trying to hide money. (laughs) And so I believe what you're referring to is this idea is if you are not careful in the contracting of your own family members, they will consider it a gift as opposed to an expense. And when they consider it a gift, that can be a form of sheltering your assets, which is not appropriate if you're applying for Medicaid or at least doesn't count. And so they'll look at those assets and still consider them as part of your estate or part of what you own, even if you've already paid that family member. It is quite messy and people don't realize the importance actually of uh, someone, a lawyer who's familiar with healthcare and familiar with Medicaid to swim these waters carefully. But what you're also talking about is realizing this years in advance that you got to be thinking about these things. And most people don't have the wherewithal, right? They kind of are in fight or flight response just as you were and maybe are not being as careful because they just got to make it through the day. But then years later, find themselves in a situation where maybe they can't get Medicaid or maybe they've spent down and don't have the assets to do what they want to do. So what can we tell people who are coming to this podcast and saying, boy, I'm in my 40s. There may be one day where my parents need help. I'm still taking care of my kids. Maybe I'm going to be sending them to college. Maybe they're not going to be able to make a living after college. What kind of positive advice can we give people to start planning for this themselves, to protect themselves for what could happen in the future? I think it's first boundaries. Having boundaries, not only financially and understanding your limits that way, but also understanding your self-care boundaries. So if you're a person who likes to go to the gym every morning and you suspect that you may be a family caregiver, don't make an exception to that rule. Still go to the gym every morning. If you're a person who is really good about, like it makes you feel good to get a spa day in, make sure that that day doesn't get canceled. You are just as important as your loved one. So making sure whatever you've already placed right now, making sure that You're continuing to do that. 
If you don't already have a self-care routine, now is the time to create it. And as far as financial boundaries, understanding how much you're willing to give to the pitcher. Are you willing to not give anything? Are you willing to give? The way I see it is there's two different routes. Are you willing to give your time or your money? Which one would you feel more comfortable with? So if you're willing to give your time, how much time is that? And if you're willing to give your money, how much money is that? Because let me tell you, diapers, wipes, gloves, all those things in home care cost a lot. And they just quickly, you know, they don't seem a lot. They just add up quickly. It's like having a newborn baby. It's like all of a sudden you need formula and you need diapers and you need wipes and you need all these things. It adds up and having a picture of what you are budgeting for yourself and then how much you're budgeting for taking care of that loved one. Because it can get to the point where it's, it's out of hand where you're just, you're not living your own life. You're just living your life for somebody else. I've heard it said too, like you got to take care of yourself first before you take care of your family members. So the question often comes up, you know, should I be saving for retirement or saving for my family members' well-being in case they don't have enough money to cover their care? And a lot of financial people would say you need to take care of your retirement first and then consider those other things. I would say for me, if you're you're asking for my opinion, I do a mixture of both. So really analyze their situation, what their values are. And then say, if you plan to give all this money to your loved one, instead of prepare for your retirement, what does that look like? If you deplete all your savings through the course of these next three, four years or more, what will your life look like after that time frame? The beauty of family caregiving is that you get time to really think and ponder. It's not like you have a lot of time on your hands. You there's some slow times where it's like your loved ones watching TV, the news in the morning, or there may be slow times where I'm just at the park with my daughter and I'm just sitting there without my phone pondering what my life would look like. Take those times to really analyze your situation and how you want to move forward with your life. Well, Danielle, I really wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. As I think about our conversation, it's clear to me that there is a long-term care crisis that we are, many of us, falling into that sandwich generation. And the truth of the matter is the the answers to these questions, in a sense, are almost too complicated to fix on a 40-minute podcast. But what I can say for sure is that the answer may be different for multiple people listening right now. You're never going to get there if you don't start considering it, and you probably should start considering it fairly early. Because these things are complicated, long-term care is expensive, and it may take you months or years to figure out what will work best for you and your family. You might need outside advice, but you'll never get there if you don't start thinking about it today. So this is a call to action. It's time to start thinking about how your parents are going to care for themselves or are you going to care for them as they get older and how you're going to balance that with your career and bringing up your own children or at least taking care of yourself. I want to end this episode the way and every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and specifically how people can get in touch with you. So you're living a pretty busy life, a certified financial planner, watching over three generations. What's coming up for you in the next few months? 
I am excited to speak at, I'm speaking at the XY Planning Network, their conference, which I'll be talking about my niche of family caregiving and speaking there. I'll also be developing a course for those who want to plan for their loved ones. And uh, that would be a, just a monthly subscription where you can just learn and educate yourself through videos about how to plan for yourself as a family caregiver and plan for your loved ones. And what is the best way to get in touch with you if people have questions? My website is www.spark, like the fire spark, S-P-A-R-K, dash fin, like dolphin fin, F-I-N dot com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn and Twitter under my name, Danielle, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E, space, my last name, Mila, M-I-U-R-A. Well, Danielle Mila, thank you so much for being on Earn and Invest today. Thank you for having me. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. I hate to do this, but I'm going to end this episode with a somber note. Well, really, a bunch of bad news and maybe a little good. The truth is, you probably have not saved enough for retirement. We can talk about the safe withdrawal rate. We can talk about 4% versus 3.5% versus 3%. We can talk about passive income. We can define financial independence. We can do all those things we're so great at doing here on Earn and Invest. But what we can't do is know the future and the cost of long-term care. You've heard it on this episode and you'll hear it in the media, you'll hear it on podcasts, you'll hear it when people talk of estate planning, long-term care, that is the cost of care as you get to the point where you cannot do your own activities of daily living. That's cleaning, feeding, toileting, etc., getting dressed. If you can't do those on your own, you're going to need help doing that. And the bad news is the cost of that help is exceedingly, exceedingly expensive and getting more expensive all the time. Guess what? Private equity and venture capital has literally taken over the healthcare space. And part of that is that they own a lot of assisted livings and nursing homes now and even home healthcare giving businesses. That's right. Whoever provides the long-term care you or your family will need is now owned by a business, not a small business, but usually a big one, and they are charging more and more every year. Look, the hourly rate for a caregiver, if you want someone to care for you at home, is $30 an hour. If you get to the point where you or a family member cannot take care of themselves, that's well over $100,000 a year. Most assisted livings are somewhere between $7,500 and $10,000 a month, at least in my area. That's $120,000 a year. Most nursing homes are $350 to $400 a day. Here in suburban Chicago, that's going to be $150 to $180,000 a year, if not more, $200,000 a year. And guess what? We have the medical ability to keep people alive. So people are going to assisted livings, hiring home caregivers, or going to nursing homes, and they're living there 
sometimes as long as five to 10 years. Five to 10 years, $150,000 to $200,000 a year, no income, lots of expenses. It's, it's literally untenable. I mean, the grand majority of people are not going to be able to afford long-term care, which is getting more and more expensive all the time. The infusion of private equity and venture capital is making it more and more expensive. This is a business, and there's a huge need for it. And that cost of this business is not going down. It's going up. Part of the issue is, unlike other sectors in our economy, If the price goes up too high, demand eventually goes up for cheaper solutions. And usually a cheaper solution disrupts the field and the cost of goods and services generally goes down. For long-term care, however, no one is willing to go on the cheap. And this is something that more and more people need. And when you need it, you're literally in an emergency You don't have much of a choice. The same economic pressures that apply to other goods and services don't apply as much to long-term care. So I said that there's bad news and maybe there's a touch of good news. The good news is if you spend all your money, eventually you can apply for Medicaid and Medicaid pays for nursing home care. And even a lot of good nursing homes still take Medicaid. So ultimately, if you spend down everything, you still have a solution, a solution that actually is fairly decent comparatively. Most of these nursing homes will take adequate care of you if you need long-term care. But let's be honest, there's really no great solution. And I hear people saying after this diatribe, we'll get long-term care insurance. Well, guess what? Long-term care insurance is exceedingly expensive. It used to be cheaper, I think, in the 80s and 90s. But what happened is these insurance companies had to take a bath when the cost of long-term care went up so much. So now the cost of premiums is so high that most people can't afford it. Long-term care might be one of the biggest risks to our financial well-being coming in the future. So you can argue all you want about safe withdrawal rates. But this issue sidesteps all that because you can have a safe withdrawal rate of 3%, which should be ironclad. But if you need long-term care and it costs you $200,000 a year, that's going to blow all of your spending and budgeting plans out the window. So I didn't bring this up to be depressing, but it is a problem, a problem which we can try to solve for ourselves. You can try to self-insure by saving an extra million or two above and beyond your 4% safe withdrawal rate, but that's not likely going to happen for the majority of us. So the other thing we can do is really push for a legislative solution. At some point, there's going to have to legislatively be some way to fund long-term care that doesn't bankrupt all of us. All right, I keep things running just for a few minutes, um, just to catch our discussion afterwards. Tell me, what about home caregiving do you think we didn't talk about during the discussion? Was there anything kind of big that you think needs to be out there or said about about the process? I think the only thing that I could think of is knowing when it's time to put your loved one in an assisted living facility. 
knowing when that transition has to be made. And what's the answer to that? How do you know? How do you know when you're ready? <laughs> the, t- the time to know when it's time is when you've had that conversation with your loved one, you feel that there's a health issue that may need more assistance. For example, you may come into the home and find out that it's a mess, that they haven't done the dishes in a while, they're wearing clothes that haven't been washed in days, or maybe they haven't taken a shower in days. Starting to look for those signals and signs. Is there unexplained dents in the car? Is their mailbox full? Those may be signs, the first signs of they may need help. And then from there, you can decide, have a conversation with them, maybe get a cup of coffee or tea and sit down and say, you know, how are you feeling? How are you really doing by yourself at the house? Um, Is there, do you want me to send someone once a week to mow your lawn? Because I see that it's difficult for you to mow the lawn by yourself. What support services can you put in place to help them? Can you do meals on wheels? Can you have someone, a neighbor come by and walk the dog? Start creating those support services as early as possible once you start seeing those warning signs. And then you can go from there to see, you know, how is that, is their health decreasing, declining, kind of monitoring it as you go. Most people don't know how regionally it can be more or less expensive. So in my area, we're facing this with a family member who pretty much needs 24-hour care, right? There's falls and things like that. But people don't realize so 24-hour care, if you're going to get a respectable agency, bring them into the house, you A, need a space, like you need a room for them, right? If someone's 24-hour, they're going to need a place to rest, etc. But the other thing is that that's going to cost you in my area $150,000 a year, like between $130,000, $150,000 a year. On the other hand, assisted living is going to be between one hundred dollars and $150,000 a year in my area, depending on where you go also, to get kind of the bare minimum. Um yeah, people don't don't know and don't prepare for that. And yet also don't also realize that um, when you get a family member in their 80s and 90s and they can no longer get around and move, you need pretty intensive care to help them get up and move around and shower them and make sure they're clean and make sure they're going to the bathroom okay and all those kind of things. It's It's no joke. It is a lot. So, you know, often you get two people in their 80s and one goes downhill and the other's like, well, I'll take care of them. And it's like, well, it's kind of hold, hard for an 80-year-old, 100-pound woman to pick up a 85-year-old, 150-pound man and get him onto the toilet. Like, people just don't, they don't realize how complicated it can get. Yeah, there's a statistic that has said that um, amongst family caregivers, about 65% of them have some type of health decline in the years that they were a family caregiver. So preparing yourself before you become a family caregiver of what that looks Mm. like. Do you have your own long-term care plan in place? Do you have your POAs in place so that if something happens to you during that time that you're prepared? I wanted to touch upon something you said about uh, the cost of the difference between assisted living and home care. Mm -hmm. I can remember. Yeah, like a 24-hour care. I'm sorry, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. we found them to both be very expensive. In fact, in some ways, depending on which assisted living you get, the 24-hour care was more expensive on a yearly basis. Oh, Um, what I want to remember to say is um, have those conversations with your parents beforehand. mm -hmm. 
before they need that help. Because if they're absolutely like, I don't want assisted living facilities, that's not even an option for me. In some Mm -hmm. cultures, that's not even an option. So understanding those wishes and those things beforehand is important. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.